But uh, her first question about the doctor is, am I going to have to get a shot? I don't know, maybe. Uh, it depends on what the doctor says. Well, I think I'll feel better, you know. Uh, and, and Brooklyn is, is often like that when it comes to sickness, you know. She's, she's not feeling well, but she doesn't want to take the medicine to feel better. Uh, and I thought it was a, it's a good illustration of how we kind of interact with God on the things that are wrong with us. Uh, the question for Brooklyn is, do you want to feel better or not? Do you want to be healed or not? And uh, if the sickness isn't all that bad, then there's not a disease. She doesn't want to have to take the medicine. She doesn't really want to be healed at the end of the day. And uh, we're the same way sometimes when it comes to sin. Sometimes sin is not quite bad enough, not, the consequences aren't quite strong enough to drive us to want to be rid of it. Does that make sense? It, we recognize the, the problem of it, and we, we don't want it, okay? But the, the pain isn't severe enough for us to say, I want it gone, I'm done. I, I think about these stories where you see these, this transformation, you know? You know, you You've got a guy who maybe was arrested when he was very young and got tangled up in drugs and so forth and then met Christ while he was in prison and has this remarkable transformation and goes on to do incredible things for the kingdom. And I, I think those stories are awesome because you see the power that God has to change lives. And I think that's important for us to think about that. God can change lives. He changes lives every day. He can change your life. But sometimes we think about those stories and we think, that's not me. I'm, I don't identify with that story. And I, I've, I've talked to a lot of kids, especially those of us who are, you know, have experience, who grew up talking about God and Jesus. There's this sense that, man, my story is not like that. My story isn't, you know, I don't have this huge thing that happened and I was changed or something. I, I just feel like I've just kind of always been here. Can you all identify with me at all? And, you know, our proximity to God is, has, we've always been kind of there, you know, kind of with God. And so we've kind of, we haven't had this dramatic thing like the prodigal son where there's no God and we're like, I'm coming back. There's always been some God in our life. And then maybe uh, this, the sin that we carry around, though, uh, doesn't get its, doesn't get credit for how damaging it can be. Am I making sense? So the question for you and for us and for anybody this morning that Jesus points out through one of his, these signs that are recorded in the Gospel of John is this. Do you want to be healed? Do you want it? You know, there's a lot of lessons to draw from, from this miracle, from this sign in John chapter 5. And I'll try to, to get some of them out. But that's the, if there's only one question for you to walk, walk away with today, only one consideration, it would be that. Verse 1 of John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast with, of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is, Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. For years, people said, ah, this is just made up. It doesn't exist. And then about 50 years ago, archaeologists actually discovered this pool. It's still there. You can see it. You can go see it today. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. 
One who was there had been there and had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Can you imagine having that for 38, being there for 38 years? I mean, what would that experience be like for you? Maybe you can identify with this guy at least somewhat. Because the longer we deal with a problem or a challenge, the less likely we are to be hopeful about that problem or challenge. Do you agree with that? Time seems to erode away hope. Like, the longer you deal with something, I think it's, we're, as people, we're more inclined to start giving up on it. It's never going to get better. We get jaded, cynical. We should never be cynical. If you, if you are experiencing cynicism in your life, that is not from God. If you are jaded, it's not godly. That's one of the things, like, there's, there's a few things you can say, you can always say that is not from God. Uh, fear is one of them. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, self-control. Another one would be jadedness. If you're walking around with a spirit of jadedness, you know it's not from God. You know it's from your flesh or the enemy. I believe that. Because here's what jadedness does. Here's what it says. It says... God, you're unable to impact this situation. You're not powerful enough to change this. And I have proof. I've been dealing with it for this long, so I know you're not powerful enough to change it. Is that faulty reasoning? Is that the wrong way of thinking about it? We have great examples of faith in the text. It's interesting that he was laying there for 38 years. That's about how long the people were wandering in the wilderness. They were in the desert for 40 years waiting for the promised land. Uh, some of us might be inclined to give up uh, you know, after a couple of years. Maybe after a year. These guys were out there for 40 years. Think of all these, uh, Job and all these people went through and the length of the duration of what they suffered. Man, if we don't get a quick fix, we're, we start doubting, right? We're in a society of quick fixes. God is not always a quick fixer. He doesn't always give the answer right now. In fact, the, the development that we undergo by persevering and experiencing that weight, that pain and, of waiting, that is more powerful transformation for us than anything like a quick fix could do. Do you agree with that? Anyway, this guy was here for 38 years. And uh, so I just, I'm just trying to identify with him. I'd probably be, I would probably be hopeless at this point. That's why I think Jesus comes along and says, look, do you want to get well? Because sometimes after a certain period of time, maybe we stop caring about that. We just kind of drift away from that. Uh, and that's his question. Sir, he replied, verse 7, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else always goes down ahead of me. I think this is interesting because what is on this guy's mind? The reason why it can't happen, right? Like, look, I've tried. It's not possible. We often go to Jesus with that, uh, that attitude. We often go to him thinking, this isn't going to happen. It's not possible. I've tried. Here's why it can't happen, Jesus. That's not what Jesus asked. He didn't say, hey, why are you still here? He said, do you want to be healed? 
And I think it's important for us to recognize that. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. It's a, that's a powerful story right there. I hope you can I hope you put yourself in that, in that scene and really, really saw it with your own eyes there. Jesus just completely changed a guy's life. And it's interesting, the reason why, thinking about why he did this to this one man, it said that there were tons of people around this pool that were struggling. Why did he choose this one? Uh, and why did he do this here and now? You know, there, like I said, there are only seven of these miracles in the Gospel of John, and they're put there on purpose. John is con- convincing us, showing us something about our Lord, and we cannot walk away from this story without understanding what John wants us to know about Jesus. Why this miracle? Why then? Why is this here? Yeah. That's good. He had given up. Jesus picks the one who has been there for 38 years. Why lead your people away from the Pharaoh in Egypt only to be confronted with the Egyptian army at your back and the Red Sea in front of you? What kind of situation is that? Hopeless? Yeah, hopeless, right? From the human standpoint. This is the position that God does his powerful work in. It's in that spot where we, we say, this is not possible for me. Uh, I can't do it, God. That he steps in and shows how powerful he is. All right. Why choose the guy who's been there for 38 years? Because people have given up on this guy, haven't they? He's given up on it himself. Look, I've tried. It's not happening. Every time I try to get in, someone else gets it. He's got probably more excuses than that. Those are just the ones recorded here. This is the guy who, has, who has, is hopeless. And Jesus says, your hope is not in you fixing this. Your hope is in someone else, something far greater. Right? This is why he works with this guy. Because the guy who says... The, the, the guy about everyone says, it, it's done. There's no hope for him. Jesus comes in and shows them something. It shows them something about who he is and how powerful he is and the power that he has to change lives. What kind of hopeless situations do you have in your life that you've given up on? There's two responses to those things. Number one is jadedness. It'll never be better. Number two is power, saying God, whatever, I trust you with this. Y'all with me? God has the power. Pick up your mat and walk. He picks it up and he walks. Okay. The day on which this took place was Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Let me talk about the ridiculousness of these Pharisees for a minute. Uh, These guys were the religious elite. They were the, the, the godly people of the day, okay? Everyone looked up to them as the god folks. The, you know, when we think of, 
you know, you as we think about pastors and stuff, like they're more Christian than than the rest of us is what we it's false. Like I, some of you know, I'm just like you like the, this. Sometimes, though, we get that idea that there's these super Christians and then there's the normal ones like missionaries and pastors. They're like the super ones. Right. It's false. We're all in the same boat. People, you know, we all are. Uh, and. Anyway, what's my point about that? The point is that at, the, at that day and time, they, the same kind of dynamic existed, and people looked at the Pharisees as like the super God people. Now, with that comes responsibility, just like with you know, the, what, my responsibilities. I had to be careful, even with things that I may be free to do, because of the position I'm in and what it might do to the body, Right? The Pharisees had a responsibility because people thought they were godly. They needed to do this correctly, and they didn't. You know, whenever Scripture was, was just kind of vague in the Old Testament, so they would come in and, and get, make it specific so that they could define and judge. And they came up with over 1,500 rules uh, about Sabbath, about how you could violate Sabbath. Sabbath was the day of rest, plain and simple. It was the day of rest. But they came up with these rules. I mean, some of these rules are, I would say, insane. But they were things like you cannot, uh, you can't do any kind of thing. Like later on in the text, you see, and going, going over to Matthew, the disciples were hungry and it was Sabbath. It was Saturday. They had plucked some wheat out of the field and rubbed it together to get the chaff off of it and ate it. And the Pharisees were mad about it. And they said to Jesus, you let your people do work on the Sabbath. They rubbed grain together in their hands to eat it. And they considered that a violation of Sabbath. That's work. They told, this is, this will blow you away. This is true. They told, everything I say is true, hopefully. But they, they told, I shouldn't have to preface my sermon with, this is true. They told the women, don't look at mirror, in mirrors on Sabbath. Because you might see a gray hair you would want to pluck. And that would be work. There, it was a different society, clearly, right? So there was all these weird things that they had defined as here's what it is. And God said, that's not what it is. You know, and Jesus is coming and saying, look, this is what you're doing here. This is not what God meant by that. Okay. He said, God made man, uh, Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the rule is here for your benefit. Okay. Uh, you've turned this into something else. And, and he goes on to say, and prophets said this too. I desire mercy, not sacrifice above all. Part of the rules that they follow were sacrifice. But at the end of the day, it was about the heart of it. What is it really about? And they missed the point here. Why would you heal a guy on Sabbath? It's Sabbath. Don't heal someone on Sabbath. Can you see how backwards they were in their thinking? We have to be careful, though, when we start to develop ideas of what it's about and we, it doesn't go the way we think, we can get the wrong idea and turn this thing on its head. Jesus says, don't miss the point here. This is what it's all about. Why would you make Sabbath more important than healing somebody? This really got their hankles up because he was coming in challenging their authority. And here's how they respond to him. Who do you think you are? How dare you come in here and say this to us? Who do you think you are talking about this in this way? 
Look in verse 12. They asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was because Jesus slipped away into the crowd. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I, too, am working. Sounds like something he said before. I'm about my father's business. He, he's doing the God things. He's, he cares about the things that God cares about. The Pharisees are not concerned about the things that God's concerned about. God cares about the paralyzed guy. They're more concerned about their rules that they've set up for their own sense of pride and, and well-being. Jesus says, look, I'm here to do what my father does. My, always, my father is always at work and I too am working. When we read that, we think, oh, that sounds good. No big deal. But to the Jews, it was blasphemy. Because in that statement, he's saying, I am equal to God, which means he is divine. This is his claim. Why did the Jews kill Jesus at the end of the day? Because he equated himself with the divine. That's why. And as one of my favorite writers puts it, he says, this means Jesus saying this here means one of several things. Number one, either he is, he is God, or he's lying, or he's crazy. The old Lord, liar, or lunatic argument. He's one of those three things. I mean, he is. How do you know which one? I'll tell you how you know which one. Jesus rose from the dead. So that shows us he was, he's God, right? Y'all with me? But this, this is something that they didn't want to hear. Uh, they didn't appreciate that Jesus was divine. But it's the fact that we need to be confronted with. Because it changes the whole game. When I tell you to not be jaded, to go through life, and even on these things that you have to deal with for years and years and years where you are inclined in the flesh to start saying, ah, it's never going to get better. When I tell you that you ought not to do that, you ought not be jaded, and instead ought to give that over to the Lord and say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm not telling you that you need to give that stuff over to a good teacher, a great guy who walked the face of the earth who was just very polite and did good stuff. That's not what I'm telling you to do. Even if that person existed and he was a, you know, a great, neat guy who was perfect in a lot of ways, that wouldn't be enough for you to turn your life's problems over to him. Are y'all following me? What I'm telling you is that whenever I tell you to not get jaded about stuff, but instead head that, hand that over to Jesus, number one, this Jesus is a guy who said, do that, give it to me. Number two, he is God himself. That's different, isn't it, than just some good guy with good teachings. It's different if he's divine. It's different if he's really God than if he's just some average guy who just happened to live a good life. That's why it matters when people come up to you and say, you know, I believe Jesus existed, but I just think he was a good teacher. That's not enough for me. If he was just a good teacher, then just pick your poison on teachings, you know, go with Buddha or whatever. It doesn't matter at that point. But I'm telling you that he's not just a good teacher. He's God, right? 
that changes things. So that whenever you have a problem that you present to him, he's not just going to philosophize about it and give you just some good ideas to deal with it. He is God. He has the power to do something about it. Then you've got to decide if you're going to trust him or not to do it his way. Or if it has to be done your way for you to think he's at work. John 3.16. What's, what's John 3.16? In the real world that we experience pain, suffering, tragedy. You can take those pain, those sufferings, those tragedies to any number of ways to try to cope with it. Some people worship pills. Some people worship Buddha. Some people worship alcohol. Some people worship, you know, fill in the blank, Muhammad or whatever. At the end of the day, what, what this is is saying, I'm going to go to this thing in order to solve the problem. And sadly, all those things are different and inadequate about dealing with the problem. Our story is different. All right. Here's why it's different. And I'm going to read a quote here from a preacher uh, who who wrote this in the real world of pain. How could someone worship a God who was immune to pain? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha. His legs crossed, his arms folded, his eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, I've had to look away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to the lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. For Jesus, who was in the very likeness of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And he goes on to say, dying on a cross. He entered the world of the flesh and blood and tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in light of this. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it boldly stamp another mark, the cross, which symbolizes divine suffering. Here's the point. God has been there. Wherever you've been, God has been there, right? We don't have, as the Hebrew writer says, a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. He has been there wherever we have been. He's not some remote figure. Uh, there was a, a writer named Corey Ten Boom. You might have heard of this person uh, talking about the Jews, the, the Jews being persecuted in Germany, Nazi Germany. She talked about the horrendous nature of these abuses and how men and women would be paraded around naked as they decided whether to kill them or put them into slave labor. And the, the German uh, Nazi officers would be laughing at them and so forth. Thinking, you know, things like this always bring up the question, why would God allow that? And then this woman, Corey Timboon, remembered that Jesus hung on the cross naked. He's been there. 
Not only has he been there, he says to you and I that we have the ability to have victory over it through him. He conquered the grave. There is nothing that we're lacking. The question for you this morning is, do you want to be healed? 